the world is crazy. <laughs> like, it's insane. And, and the question I kind of want to start with is this. How is it possible to find peace in a world that is so easy to worry about? We're talking about worry today. Let me give you a couple scenarios. Peace is possible, and you've experienced it. Scenario one. Let's call it the peace before the storm. You might call it the calm before the storm. Popular phrase, right? You heard this phrase before. And this is, a few weeks ago I experienced this. And you probably experienced a calm before the storm. A few weeks ago I was at Roanoke Christian Camp in Washington. I'm the dean of a session of high school camp there. About 120 high school students. We've got 30 staff members. Over 150 people on campus. And it's high school week. So it is pandemonium. It's crazy. We pile them in the cafeteria. We turn the music up real loud. They're singing along to Taylor Swift songs. They're dancing to Disney songs. It's insane. They go into these worship settings where the band is super high energy. And they play games. They go to these activities in the field where there's running, there's screaming, there's yelling. Not to mention the dorm life. Once you get in the dorms, bouncing here and there. Get in bed. Take your shower. Please. Let's get Bed, all these things, and I can't even get into the drama that happens when a boy and a girl see each other for the first time and it's love at first sight. Like it's just like ah, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. And I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been going to this camp, okay, as as a dean. I've been going there as a person uh, since like 1984 or something like that. Long time, right? I know the camp's about to be crazy, and I remember distinctly. I think it was two weeks ago after church on Sunday. We get in our car. And my family's in the car, and thank the Lord, my two kids were not trying to kill each other in the back seat. We were just hanging out. Uh, they've grown up. I've got to give them a lot of pride. They're actually both high school students now, and they're ready to go to camp. And there was this moment where the music stopped, the conversation stopped, and it was just quiet. I was driving. It was just like, and I want you to experience it with me. Here it goes. Shh. I've heard the phrase silence is like a, like a massage for the soul. <laughs> and it, I remember at this moment I said, this is the calm before the storm. That's the calm before the storm. You've seen it before. You can predict it. You know when the craziness is coming. We all know the phrase. We all know what it means. Things are about to get wild. So enjoy the peace while you can. Grandparents, you love your grandkids, but they turn the house upside down. And you, you're, like, you're, you're down for that. But just before they get there, you're just like, <sighs> you know? Bring, okay, that's the, that's the calm. That's the peace before a storm, scenario one. Scenario two, the peace after the storm. All right, same camp. It's Monday night. Like I said, I've been going to that camp for a long time. But Monday afternoon, a storm hit that was, I believe, the worst storm any of us who'd been there for decades had ever seen. We're right on the Pamlico River. It's literally on the shore of the Pamlico River. Outside of a hurricane, which hurricanes have flown over there. But outside of that, I think it was the most wind and rain that's ever come in a 30-minute period in the history of that camp. So in an emergency situation, we go to the cafeteria, which is great because it's a really small concrete building and you cram about 150 people in there. It's wonderful, but it's safe. And it began to just calm down. And the rain, I know, I'm not even make, like exaggerating. It was raining absolutely sideways off the river. We're seeing things just fly. Trash cans full of trash. It's like, pew, we lost a canoe. It just went over there. It floated. The water was high. The wind was blowing. You hear stuff beating against the building. And then trees began to fall down. I'm not making this up. Go to the camp. Facebook page. Giant trees that have been there that are 30 years old just fall over. The kids are like, whoa, the trees fell down. And then they're singing Taylor Swift songs. And it's crazy. And then one of the trees fell on like one of our main buildings where we do like worship and stuff. We weren't in that building, but it's like, oh no. And it's crazy. The power starts to flicker on and off. It's a storm. We had to stop everything, get them quiet, and do a roll call. We rarely have, I can't think of a time where I've ever had to do this at camp. Just to make sure that everyone was in the building. There was a girl named Michaela missing. 
she never came to camp. I had to finally call her mom, like, we can't find Michaela. Oh, she never came. Well, that was nice. Thanks for letting us know. But then everybody was safe, and we were good. Then, as quickly as it came, it was gone. And if you've ever been in Wilmington after a hurricane, and you walked out of your front door, and all your neighbors are just kind of doing this, And you're like picking stuff up and just like, I guess we'll move this into a pile, you know? And there's nothing to do but pick up the pieces and move on. That's the peace after a storm. There's peace before a storm, there's peace after a storm. They're predictable. You can lean into them. But here's the question. How in the world can you find peace when you're in the middle of it? I just talked about a literal storm, but you see, I'm talking about life circumstances. Where you're in the middle of it, your kids are driving you crazy, something bad is happening at work, there's a health issue going on, there's something going on with your, your ailing older parents, you got fear about the government and the economy, I know a lot of you lose sleep over that. What do you do? How can you find peace? It's not over yet. We're going to pick up where Patrick left off last week. By the way, thank you, Patrick, for preaching last week. Where's he at? Or is he helping with the kids? I think he's, man's working. Uh, there he is. What's up, man? Thank you last week. Uh, Patrick was in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and he kicked it off talking about treasures. And Jesus says, listen, where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. And so that was the whole thing. Go check it out on our podcast or on YouTube. And, and, and we're in this series called Salt and Light, and it's basically a summer-long teaching. We're doing it for, I think, three months total of where we are. We're getting near the end of it now. Uh, we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Matthew again, Matthew chapter 6. So Matthew is one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. It's in the New Testament of the Bible, which is like that last third. If you need a Bible, we've got free ones that you can take home with you if you want to. Back by the door, feel free to go grab one or get one before you leave or just use it for the service. Uh, look it up on your phone. But we're going to be in chapter 6 today. And this Sermon on the Mount is basically like this opus sermon of Jesus's. It's this big kind of collection of his, some of his most fundamental teachings. And as we hit uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 25, Jesus is going to bring up one of the things that steals the most joy from us ever. It robs us of joy. It gets us crazy because we can't be happy. It's the concept of worry. Worry. We more popular today might even use the phrase anxiety and understand there are levels of anxiety where you probably need to see a professional or even have, you know, uh, medicine and stuff like that. But on a very surface level, here's the thing. Worry has been with us as a people for a long time. Probably since the very first time that a mama saw a little boy climb too high in a tree and she was like, don't break your arm. He's going to break his arm. Bill, make him get down. Like since that day, we've experienced worry. And Jesus understands this is something we associate with a lot of our life. I've talked a lot about worry, but this is like the place to understand what Jesus has to teach about it. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to jump right in, verse 25. Here we go. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? So let's just pause there for just a second. He's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Don't worry about life. This is a teaching, dare I say, a commandment from Jesus. We are very bad at this, which is why this section is going to use the word six different times, and he's going to give us a couple of examples to understand how we can do this thing. I want to give you kind of a working definition for worry, because you could kind of, there's levels of worry. This is what I mean when I'm talking about worry today, because this is what I think Jesus is talking about. I think worry is living in fear of potential things that you have no control over. 
These aren't actual things, okay? If your house is on fire, you should get the heck out of there. You need to get your kids out of there. You need to run. You need to make sure if you have time to grab something valuable, get it out. Like, that's important. That's an actual problem. But laying in bed at night and you can't sleep because you're just like, I just, what if the house catches on fire? And this is like a real thing for a lot of people in the world. You're constantly working at worst case scenarios and the sky is falling and everything's bad and you're stressed about it and it has physical effects on your body and it affects you emotionally and it affects you, uh, you can't sleep. Like all these things add up. Worry is living in fear of potential things that you have no control over. That's key. You will potentially retire one day and you do have some control over whether or not you have savings or retirement plan. So you can do stuff there. You can plan for the future. Jesus is not advocating for us to not plan, but he's saying don't worry about your life. Dr. Paula Bloom is a psychologist. I love quoting this thing whenever I talk about worry. She says this, worry is the mind's way of having the illusion of control. Worry is the mind's way of having the illusion of control. She says, well, I can't do anything about this situation, so let me worry about it so at least I can feel like I'm doing something. And according to one study, like 85% of the things that we worry about never come to fruition. But apparently it's that, what, 15% that make us go, well, I should still worry about it though, because it might happen. So worry's a problem. And, and one of the biggest issues is that it, it makes us not trust God because we want to have control. It's the illusion of control. So Jesus sets up these two categories about worry. And we just read about them a second ago. The first one is this. These are things that I might call our critical needs or our survival needs. He says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. These are, I will die if I don't have these things. Now, is it reasonable to think like you should plan for groceries? You should plan for drinkable water, right? But he says, don't worry about these survival needs. And this is the stuff that we spend a lot of time laying awake about. I mean, maybe, maybe you're living in a, a you know, state of poverty or near poverty, and it really is about food or, or water. Or maybe for you, it's like, can I make ends meet this month? Am I going to be able to have shelter over us this month? Are we going to be able to put groceries on the table? Again, there are parts of that that you can control. But the elements of it that you cannot control become worry. Jesus says, don't worry about these things. He's not saying don't think about them. He's not saying stop looking for a job. He's not saying don't walk your kids down to the food bank and get free food. Like that's available to you. He's not saying that. He's saying living in fear and anxiety over these things doesn't help anything. It doesn't get you any food. It doesn't get you any money. You're stressed out to the point where you can't sleep, you can't work, you can't function. Follow that. So that's the, like the critical needs category. And then he gives us a second category. I'm going to call them non-survival needs or non-critical needs. These are things pertaining to maybe my appearance or my status. He talks about uh, the clothes that we wear, okay? And, and I think we can broaden that out to a lot of other things. Some of us are worried about our, our advancement or our promotion at work. I need to get the higher level. I need to climb the ladder. I need to, you know, level up. We're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about acquisition, like getting stuff. It, it's no surprise to me that this falls right after uh, what Patrick talked about last week when Jesus is talking about our treasures, because I Googled it. I was real scholarly and I was like, what are the things we worry about the most? And you know how like uh, it gives you the big answer and it's like in big font. And it was like the number one thing people worry about is finances and their future. And so like it's no surprise to me that this is going to fall right after that section about our treasures. Because Jesus knows, I know you're going to worry about this stuff. And there's even some other like non-critical things that maybe you wouldn't consider that. Like we spend a lot of time stressing over things like, will I own a home? Will I get married? Or... Are we going to be able to get pregnant? I know that's a tender issue, but these are not survival-related needs for you. 
Will I make the sale? Will I get the new car? Will our interest rate go up? These are real life things that we lay in bed thinking about. And Jesus says, is life not more than food? And the body more than clothes? In fact, I want us to remember that question. Because Jesus is going to give us like an answer at the end. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? So, Jesus is going to give us two little metaphors that are going to break this down. Okay, and the first one is going to be about birds. So we're going to look at, starting in verse 26. Jesus says, all right, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your day or to your life? So Jesus uses birds here. It's like he's saying, you know, God has given birds what they need. They got built-in instincts. They got bugs and worms. They know how to make nests. They figure out how to lay eggs. Like God has given them everything. And I, I love this concept I've read somewhere. Like God didn't create a world full of birds and then forget to create all the stuff that they needed. Everything he created, he provided what we needed. Are we not much more valuable than birds? God didn't create you and then forget to create all the stuff that you're going to need. To be happy, to be healthy, to be holy. He's given you what you need. Worrying about it isn't going to add a single second to your life. Now here's the thing though about birds. It isn't all bugs and worms for birds now. Okay, birds have it rough. I mean, listen, birds got to work through wintertime. They got to figure it out when it's, when it's not raining. Like, where am I going to find some water? They got to, um, there's boys with slingshots, you know, little seven-year-olds. And, but you will not find a bird laying in this little nest at night going, I just can't sleep. I can't sleep. What if there's no worms tomorrow? You know? What if Timmy gets a slingshot or a BB gun? You know? Like, bird, I get it. They're birds. They're not humans. And so their emotional maturity is probably not what ours is. But the, the point is the same. Here's the thing. God allows birds to live in the world where there are BB guns. Life can be hard. Sometimes you're unemployed. Sometimes there's physical dangers. Sometimes you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. But guess what? God allows that to exist in the world that he created you to live in. In fact, there's so much teaching we could do about suffering and what it does to build us and make us stronger and grow us closer to God. But the whole thing here about the birds is that, like, listen, God will take care of you for what you need. And go to bed at night resting peacefully because that's true. Is that easy? Mm-mm. It takes practice. But it begins by knowing that it's true. Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Okay, so he talks about birds, okay? Then he's going to switch over to the whole clothes thing and the non-essentials. So he talks about flowers. So let's look at this. Verse, uh, where are we? 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Let me just pause. Someone needs to hear this. <laughs> why do you worry about clothes? We spend so much time literally thinking about clothes. Okay. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, not like gymnastics, okay, we're talking about making clothes. They do not labor or spin, 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon, one of the greatest, uh, most, most wealthy kings of Israel. And so everyone would have known this guy, Solomon. This for you would be like, you know, not even Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk was dressed in splendor. Elon Musk isn't really very fancy. But the whole point being like, they're like, yeah, Solomon was dressed nicely. Not even Solomon in all his splendor is dressed like the flowers of this field, verse 30. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, often they would use tall grass just as, you know, kindling to get the fire going. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The point here that he's making is very similar to the point that he made about the birds, okay? You're going to be fine. God's going to give you what you need. But I want to make a clear distinction between birds and flowers. Birds work their little tail feathers off, okay? They, you ever watched a bird? They never stop all day long. I mean, they're constantly like, tweet, 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 tweet. and they're like picking up little sticks, and they, the junk you throw in the yard, they turn it into a nest. Like, they keep working. Flowers do nothing. <laughs> and they have everything that they need. And one thing I love about flowers is like, there's this phrase that Jesus has used. He says, um, he says, look at the, what does he say? He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. And that's really good English translation. Uh, but if you translate it more literally from what he said it in the language to the language we have today, I love, another, another way you could translate this, it says this. Learn from the flowers of the field. He talks about birds, and then he says, learn from the flowers of the field. And knowing Jesus in a true rabbi fashion, I feel like for sure there was just like a patch of wildflowers. And they're walking along, he's like, Learn from the flowers of the field. For example, take a look. I like learning from flowers. I, truthfully, I don't know that I've ever really stopped to do that. But, but I think you can learn a lot from flowers when you look at them. In May, my wife and I went to the Sarah P. Duke Gardens in Durham. Anybody ever been to the Duke Gardens right beside Duke University? If you haven't, like, that's worth a day trip in itself. I mean, especially the older you get, the more it's appealing. Um, some of you are like... I, what? You would look at flowers? It was beautiful, okay? And like, it's acres and acres and acres of just beautifully, perfectly manicured, expertly cultivated flowers and plants from all over the world. And like, there's like an Asian section, and there's like, I don't know what different regions they cover, but it's like, stuff that you would not normally see in Wilmington, boom, it's there. And there's this like, kind of portico, tiered, stepped layer right in the middle of it that is just flowers. I mean, it's like thousands of flowers. And uh, we were taking pictures because, you know, we're old we're like we might forget this and so we're we're taking pictures and like we're taking pictures of the bumblebees and all these things on the flowers and one of my distinct memories is like to look at a batch of i don't even know what they're called like red flowers and so they're there and like when you get down on a really close level like if i was going to make that many flowers i would probably make a template okay and then i would cut out like fifty thousand little petals and they would all be exactly the same but when you get that right down on a flower it's a unique living being and whatever circumstances and climate that it encountered is, is relevant there in the plant itself. Every single seed that is planting, planted, or that falls to the ground, or however that plant gets there, the entire genetic code to make that whole life cycle of that plant and generations thereafter possible is in that tiny little seed. If you were to sit down and try to like write a computer code, because you're a genius, that would that would become flowers. <laughs> You couldn't do it. Yet God just drops some things all over the place. There are beautiful flowers growing in places where no one ever sees them. 
And Jesus says, listen, I know you really, 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 really are worried that things aren't going to work out for you. But look, everything you need, I have planted within you. And I put you in an environment where you can survive. Yes, flowers have their own problems. Frost and storms and the same little kid with the slingshots probably running through the flower garden and stomping on plants. That happens and God allows that. But the point is we can't spend our life worrying about things we can't control. So there's birds and there's flowers and Jesus just wants us to know, listen, you put so much emphasis on trying to be in control of your life and there are things that you cannot control. And can I give you some advice? Stop it. Anybody old enough to remember the Bob Newhart clip? That's all I'll say. He was a psychologist and like that was the way he did it. He was like, stop it. Just, oh yeah, you stressed out? Stop it. Your marriage is going poorly? Okay, stop it. And like that, and like so often, like, I, I know it takes time. It takes practice. It takes uh, reps, you know, you got to practice. But there are certain parts of our life, like if you recognize that something is wasting your time and it's just dumb, stop it. Worry is the illusion of control. And Jesus says, don't live in that life. What do you do? You do the best you can, and then you trust God for the rest. And now to the last verse of Jesus' lesson. So he talked about birds, he talked about flowers. Now verse 31. So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is a gut punch. For the pagans run after these things. A pagan is someone who does not acknowledge God. The pagans run after these things. Don't act like pagans. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. The things that you need and even the things that you may want. You'll have what you need. They'll be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that is the journey. Like the whole point of doing church is because this. Let me just show you. This is the gospel. This is the message of the church. This is why church exists. That God loved human beings to the point that he came down to earth to provide them a way out of their sin, out of their brokenness, out of their bad situations. And God put on flesh and he becomes Jesus and he comes into the world and he says listen let me show you the way back to God that's the message and he says here's, here's all I require of you seek my kingdom and my righteousness and you can break down all the different commandments a lot of different ways but like this is one of the ways where it just really gets nuts and bolts seek my kingdom and my righteousness you know what worrying does if worrying is the illusion of control is worrying is me trying to take uh, like convince myself that I can do something so I just lay and I think about it and I stress myself out and I got stomach ulcers and hives and whatever else at least like if, if that's what worrying is worrying is me saying I'm in control I'm the king I'm the queen therefore I'm going to build my kingdom with my walls and my defenses my moat and my drawbridge my little servants and armies. Because as long as I can just hedge everything around me and make myself feel comfortable because I mentally have everything under control. And God says, man, you have no idea when the storms are going to come. And you definitely aren't strong enough to deal with a lot of them. So here's what you need to do. Stop seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And then you will have what you need 
to find peace during the storm. My temptation, often my tendency, is that when I get worried and stressful and things don't go the way that I hope that they'll go, is that I also, um, I tend to abandon the values of God. Anybody become a jerk when they get stressed out? Yeah, that's because you have abandoned the values of God. So this whole seek first my kingdom and my righteousness is not only just this like platitude about like some heavenly spiritual thing. and No, it's like actually about our character, how we interact with community, how we treat our family. When you're in the storm, when you're stressed out the most is when you need to lean into the character of God the most. When you're on autopilot and everything's going fine, you might seem like a great person. But you don't have the strength to do that when you're going through the stress. And so that's why that, like, that whole advice about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is most important during the storm. And that's when you're going to have to practice. So if you ever have a friend or it's your spouse or it's your kids and you're going through something and someone says, have you prayed about it? Have you talked to God about it? Are you seeking God in this? What would God want you to do? They're not just being annoying. They're giving you the same advice that Jesus gives. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Uh, there's a book, uh, Fra- Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. It was super popular years ago. I don't know if, if a lot of you read it, but if you read it when, when, 15 years ago when it was popular, uh, he covers a lot of stuff about Christianity. And here's the thing about when we, when we, don't, uh, when we don't learn to trust God and give him control during our worry. A lot of people have called it functional atheism. That's a brain teaser, okay? Functional atheism. Like, you might say you believe in God, but do you act like it? Functionally, you're an atheist if you live a life full of worry. Francis Chan writes this in his book. He says, when I'm consumed by my worries, I'm stressed out about my life, my family, my job, I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstances are more important than God's command to always rejoice. That's the book of Philippians. Rejoice even in the trials. In other words, that I have the right to disobey God because of the magnitude of my responsibilities. Oh, if you knew how hard my job was. Oh, if you knew all the weight on my shoulder. I therefore have the, the, the permission to forget what God has told me to do, which is like, listen, rejoice always, even in trials. He says later in, uh, I think it's the same chapter, he says, worry implies that we don't quite trust God to be big enough or powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our life. It's easy for me to say. I'm the same as you. (laughs) But let's remember that when we lay in bed stressed out and worrying, or when you're just driving down the road and you can't get through something, or your relationships begin to suffer because of worry, what you are functionally doing is shutting shutting the door on God's ability to even be there for you. When we should really be doing the opposite. When the storms of life hit, you can find peace because you don't have to be in control. And you're not alone. I want to read you a couple of scriptures. This give me peace. And then I'm going to close out with a quick story. This is Psalm 27, 1 through 3. This is uh, King David writes this, and I think it totally applies where we are. We're going to read the first three verses and then skip to verse 13. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. 
the war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And he keeps going like that and he gets in verse 13. He says this, and I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I, I like that. I mean, we could probably parse that out and do a lot of study on it, but like the land of the living, what I'm hearing there is a very Jesus thing. Sometimes we like, we come to God and like maybe you've become a Christian, you've been baptized, you're like, yay! And then I want to be in the kingdom of God and experience eternity in heaven. As if the only reward for following Jesus is after you die. If you wait around long enough, you'll reap the benefits. No, no, no. You can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You, you can see the goodness of God now. The kingdom of God is actually here. Jesus said, I am here to proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm here now establishing the kingdom of God. And that's why as often as possible, I try to remind us, guys, wherever we go, if you've got the spirit of God living with you, you are taking pockets of heaven with you everywhere that you go. Because you're taking the kingdom of God with you. Even now, I will be confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. There's a dirty word in that paragraph. It starts with W and it ends with A-I-T. Wait. How do you find peace in the storm? During the storm? Sometimes it requires just sitting in the storm. What do we do while we're there? The Apostle Paul talks about it. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. There's that peace. The peace of God, which is far beyond anything you could understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What do we do in the storm? We wait. And we pray. Petition with thanksgiving. You go through the things that I am thankful for. I found that to be a huge thing in anxiety and stress and worry for me. If I don't know the answers and I can't control anything, you know what I can do? What I can control is my memory looking back. And I can begin to just thank God for the things that have happened. And sometimes it starts slow, but the more you do it, the more you see there's so much to be thankful for. And then Jesus gives us these words, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 29. So he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say this with me, I will give you what? Rest. Peace. Calm. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Worry is the illusion of control. Worry is the illusion of control. But praying, waiting on the Lord, you find that peace is releasing control to Jesus. Peace is releasing control. I was driving down the road this week, and I was experiencing some worry. Um, I won't go into the details, but it's something that my family's going on vacation in a couple of weeks, and there's a, there's a detail I had to take care of. Very important detail that while I'm gone, it's got to be dealt with. We've got a lot going on right now. I've got to take care of this thing. And I had already asked, like, everybody that I could ask to do this thing for me. I know some of you are like, I'll do it. Cool. Thank you. I will let you do it next time. But I called everybody that I thought could handle this thing for me. And I was sitting there and I'm driving down the road. And I had this moment. Now, this is something I've been practicing now for a long time. Okay. This doesn't always come easy, but in this moment it came easy <laughs> and I was driving. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I, this thought went through my mind. 
I said, maybe we're going to need to move our vacation. Oh, shoot. We've already booked a place to stay. We got tickets for stuff. And I was like, that's crazy. Also, that is a bad father and husband of me. Uh, if you know my life over the last year, it's been absolutely insane. And we really need to get away and just be away, right? And so I'm like, no, we can't move vacation. And then I realized, and it was ironic, God is often topping on my shoulder, so hopefully he does for you too. And he's like, you know you're writing that sermon about worry right now, right? <laughs> Remember the birds and the flowers? And so I literally, right then, because I was like, yep, yep, wait on the Lord, pray, all this stuff. I, I got out of traffic. I was on College Road, headed north of town. I pulled over. I got all on this side of the road, and I prayed. I said, Lord, I cannot imagine a way you're going to take care of this. I don't know who's available now, because I've already talked to everybody. But I know the worrying about is not going to help. And you know what, Lord? I believe that you'll provide this even if it's the day before we leave. I believe you'll give us this. I believe you're going to take care of it. You got what we need. Okay. All right. Okay, good. Let's go. Put on my turn signal. I get back in traffic. I'm looking. And I make this turn into my neighborhood. So there's this spot where I've got to stop and wait for traffic to pass. And no lie, guys, this was 30 seconds later. I got a text message from a friend who said, yeah, I'm totally free for that. I'll take care of it. No worries. How often do we completely stress out over things that we can't control and then later wake up and realize, oh, it actually turned out fine. Oops. I'm going to tell you according to that one stat that I read, it's about 85% of the time. And since like 100% of statistics are made up, I'll tell you that it's probably more often than that in your life when it matters. When it matters. Worry is the illusion of control, but finding peace means giving up control. It is hard. It is hard. That's why it takes practice. Wait on the Lord. Pray about it. And then come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus' promise. Turning things over to God that we can't control. It's how we find peace in the storm. And you know, the world around us sees that. And I don't want you to lose sight of this as we're in this series called Salt and Light. The whole purpose of this teaching is for us to know that what we do before other people, other people see. And they imitate and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. So you can be salt, you can be light. In the words of Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Let's pray.